Welcome to the Mike on Much Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Veerman. We're here with our friend and trusted producer, Max Kerman. We also have our pop culture aficionado, Shane Cunningham. Uh, Erica is not able to join us tonight. So guys, just the three of us doing it old school. Uh, before we get started, Max, big congratulations. It was just announced <laughs> that you are now on the board of directors for the Nick Nurse Foundation. Uh, Nick Nurse, obviously for our listeners, or maybe you're a new listener, is the head coach of the Toronto Raptors. This is a big deal. But it was also announced you're not the only one on the board, Max. You're on the board with Dr. J. Mm-hmm. Julius Irving. I, yeah. I always knew I'd be in his fine company one day. <laughs> <laughs> you know, growing up, being a student of basketball, being a, a bit of a historian when it comes to sports, I always said to myself, Max, when you grow older, you're going to be on the board of directors with Dr. J. What does that mean to be on a board of directors? I, I don't, <laughs> I don't quite know. <laughs> um, it's actually funny because I've never gotten so much feedback on basically anything I've ever done. Like, you know, the band's done this and that and we've traveled and we've won some awards or whatever. But the feedback I got on this announcement was insane. People were like, we're going out of their way to like congratulate me, right? Like that, I, like I had done something. But um, I mean, the purpose of the Nick Nurse Foundation is uh, to support underserved youth in sports, music and literacy. So I think I'm going to be a bit of a, an ideas guy and think about where we can uh, use the money uh, and where it'd be best used. Uh, but we haven't really done anything yet. So maybe uh, give me a give me a thanks after we've done some stuff. But so far, it's just been an announcement, and that that's cool too. How many hours a year do you think you're going to have to work on this committee? <laughs> we'll see. We'll report back in a year, and, and I'll tell you okay. how how engaged I am. But if you had to predict, make a prediction. Hmm. Well, the band's pretty slow right now, so maybe a lot. Like wow. I was uh, hanging out with Nick the other last night, actually at his house, and I told him I think I need stuff to do. So I'm going to be sending you a lot of ideas. And he was like, okay. But he seemed really busy because this week is his book launch. His uh, book, Rapture, just came out on Tuesday, uh, which is yesterday and from when we're recording. And he is doing a million interviews. He just did an interview with um, Obama's former like UN representative, um, Susan Rice. I might be getting that wrong, but someone involved in the Obama administration. And he's been doing every basketball pod, every big Canadian news outlet. So he was really busy this week. So to be honest, he didn't really have much time to to talk about the foundation stuff. But uh, yeah, guys having a good time. Do you talk about pay at all or is that weird to do? <laughs> Compensation? <laughs> What's a board member get compensated at? I mean, there, there's no, this is a volunteer position. But I do wonder, is that a thing? Do board board of directors get paid for this kind of thing sometime? You know, like, you know, I don't want to mention the the charity that rhymes with shmi. They seem like they're, they're getting paid. There may be a cautionary tale to, to not yeah. take that charity money. I don't know. Avoid scandal. Just make mm -hmm. sure the kids get the instruments and everybody's yeah. happy, man. Um, it was funny because the way that I found out was I follow Nick on Instagram and he he posts that he's like got a board of directors for his uh, his foundation and it's a picture of Dr. J, Julie Serving. So I'm like, oh, that makes sense. Didn't know he knew Dr. J, but that's a good get for his board. You want to have famous people. And then I swipe over because I see there's a couple of things and there's Max's mug and it says <laughs> also member of the board of directors. And I just started cackling, laughing and I'm like, this is hilarious. And two, Max, I saw you on fucking Saturday night and you didn't tell me you were going to be on the board of directors. Well, he mentioned it to me, to be honest, he, he asked me months ago like i think when we actually did the foundation dinner in march he was like and it was very casual he's like and obviously he's new to a foundation life you know he's only recently really come into money and real influence and power so this is kind of a new thing for him this is not like he's been a big shot his whole entire life so he said to me he was like hey max do you want to do you want to be on the board of directors for my foundation 
just very casually, like maybe when we're on stage during soundcheck. And I was like, yeah, okay. He's like, sweet. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the last I really heard of it. And then he's like, we're going to announce it. I'm like, cool. I'm like, what, what are we announcing again? He's like, the board of directors. I was like, oh, yeah, great. But I didn't know it would have the fanfare that it, that it did. People like, I don't think people even know what a board of directors is, really. No but one knows. Just, you just don't sounds, even know. I just, I don't know. <laughs> but it sounds very official. And it sounds like, and also, um, Nick is very, uh, very generous when it comes to like, I think the the money he's raising through a lot of his like speaking engagements and stuff like that. So there, there's going to be lots of, lots of money to go around, I think. And and uh, his heart is in the right place. And he's a really smart guy. He's got a really good team around him. Will you be having like Zoom calls with Dr. J or anything or meetings together? I wondered about that. I don't know. We'll see. Maybe we have to go on a vacation. We all have to go go somewhere <laughs> yeah, warm. Likely. And, and, yeah, and discuss. Makes sense. And discuss things. Yeah, yeah. Um, but yeah, I was over at Nick's place last night uh, because I'm helping with his... Um, the Indigo presentation. You know, you did this before with lights. You, you hosted did, the yeah. book chat in real life. Uh, the Nick Nurse one is obviously online, and it's I'm going to be hosting with Matt Devlin, and it's on Friday. Are you guys going to tune in? Big time. Yeah, shoot us a link, man. I, I sent you a text when I saw that. Well, I figure, I feel like what I did with the lights, I feel like Devlin's going to be doing most of the heavy lifting mm-hmm. there. I yeah. was actually kind of wondering what your role will be. Uh, like, are you there to b- throw in some jokes? Are you like the Andy Richter, the Ed McMahon? Like, <laughs> He's going to say, I don't, I don't really know. I, <laughs> 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 I don't know. Um, we, we've been practicing, though. Nick's been jamming a lot lately, so uh, so there might be a musical component, perhaps. I don't oh, know. you're gonna do tunes? Okay, maybe, maybe. Who knows? Who knows? He did say, actually, you guys will like this though, because because he loves to play. So I think I'm I'm kind of um, like his play date. You know, like after you go to school and you get to you know go hang out with your friend after after school after you get your homework done. I, I think I'm like that for Nick. And he said to me, uh, we were playing some songs yesterday. Uh, yesterday and he was he was like Matt. I was like Nick. You've gotten really good. Like since the bubble, you've really improved. And he and he just looks at me. He's like, Yeah, it's because what you told me. I'm like, What did I tell you? And he's like, That music's easy. They're just you know every song is just a few chords and they just kind of go in circles. And that's the song. I didn't know that before. I thought music was way more complicated. But you just told me that before the bubble, I could play three songs. Now. Dozens of songs. Wow. I can play lots of songs. <laughs> that awesome. is the secret to music that you figure out pretty early on is that um, there's like five or four or five main chord progressions. And that's like yeah. every pop song you've ever heard. That's right. So if you demysticize it. So now he just like pulls up. He goes to guitartab.com or whatever. Just like pulls up the chords. And he's actually really good at like moving around, which is not really that much different than what I do. So, um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, it's, it's fun hanging out uh, at his place. I usually ask lots of uh, gossipy MBA questions. And he gives me lots of great stories. So it's very fun. I can't divulge any here on the pod, obviously. Dang. <laughs> um, but, Mike, how are you doing with uh, the end of basketball? I mean, we're looking down... Uh, you don't want to say down the barrel of a gun because that's like seems very depressing and, and over the top. But um, a little dramatic, yeah, <laughs> yeah, a little dramatic. Was you're looking down a long, dark, uh, cold road right now. Uh, that's an expression, right? No. Uh, with no sports, <laughs> a long, dark, cold road. <laughs> that's what we have this episode. <laughs> um, so, Mike, give us your bubble thoughts now that it's all over. Yeah, I mean, I think that it was a. Uh, I don't think how it could. I don't see how it could be viewed as anything other than an unmitigated success. I mean, nobody got sick. They finished the season. It was three months. I mean, obviously, I think for the guys that were in it, it was very um, harrowing and trying, and it was a sacrifice on a lot of levels, even though we always say, you know, they make a lot of money. I'm sure it's not pleasant to live in a hotel away from your family and friends for three months. But um, 
you know, they went there, they did their job. Us, the sort of public, the consuming public, we were wildly entertained. We got some, I think, games that aren't only like sort of like considered bubble classics, but are just NBA playoff history classics. Uh, and yeah, I'm, I, I loved it. I loved every bit of it, as we all did. Uh, and I'm sad to see it go. And we don't know when basketball is going to be back. Maybe it's January. Maybe it's March. You know, it's like we don't we don't know when that's going to happen. But yeah, it was it was awesome. And kudos to the NBA. Shaney, what did you think? Oh, I, I loved watching the NBA. I'm going to miss it uh, so much. I didn't realize how much I missed it till it came back. I, I And they did such a great job making it feel like an NBA ga- game for us at home. But sometimes I would catch the odd behind the scenes footage that someone filmed. And it feels like different in the behind the scenes footage that's actually going on, like the music is different and there's a weird echo effect but i feel like they're piping in fake noise to us at home and somehow mm-hmm. cutting off the real noises that the players are uh feeling do you notice that Mike? absolutely they yeah definitely definitely where it's like what we're seeing at home they're presenting sort of this like pseudo reality that feels it, it feels enough like a real game that you forget you're in this almost like black mirror simulation with the, the fans on the boards yeah. and all that um but then you do see like you know Twitter video or behind the scenes video of people that are in the arena and you're like, oh yeah, they're just kind of in this empty gym, you know, with some, some family around or their agents or whomever their parents. And it's like, it is weird for them in it, but as a viewer, you do get to forget the reality of the situation. And then you're just like, I can't believe LeBron just hit, you know, his four, three or whatever it is, you know, that you're getting excited about. And they had some good filter on, so you couldn't really hear them swearing. Like they did a good job of that. I don't know how they did it, but they did. You would do you think it'd be fun to have like an eighteen plus feed for NBA? That would be kind of fun oh, yeah. actually. Has anybody ever thought of that before? Like doing like an R rated NBA feed? So if you're an adult, you can it'd be tune so in controversial. and hear all all the trash talking. That'd be really fun though. I don't think the players would want that. No. Like if they're too you know, they don't know like whatever they might say in real time, if we had a feed to that, it's like one guy's gonna make a super cut on like Twitter of some player saying something crazy. You know, it is what a it lot is. of bitch asses and stuff. <laughs> you bitch ass, like a lot of that. Which, don't which you find it funny how they mic up the coaches and then the stuff yeah. they show is so normal and like they can't show anything remotely interesting it's like all right guys get out there and let's win it and it's like oh that's our <laughs> that's our coach's insider <laughs> get, get that rebound lebron good job it's like it sucks you never hear anything good there apparently there's, so there's a rule i'd read about this years ago but when they decided to start miking the coaches uh basically the rule was they could not release anything that was even mildly close to strategy so what yeah. that leaves you with when a coach talks is exactly that. Like, come on, guys, get after it. Yeah. But like anything remotely interesting, they're not allowed to share per like the coach's agreement by be- agreeing to be mic'd up for the whole game. Yeah, there, there's one uh, clip that I saw of Duncan Robinson who was mic'd up. Did you guys see that one? I thought that yeah, was kind of cool. M- m- maybe because he's like such a dorky white guy and then he's getting the approval of all the rest of his teammates. Uh, and I think that to be kind of shocking. But obviously he's so good. So like, Dunk, yeah. And he's like really in the mix with everybody. And I'm just like, that's pretty cool. You know? And he sounds a lot cooler than he looks. Like have you ever yeah. seen him in like an interview or like commercial? He's way cooler than he looks. Yeah, it's funny you say that about like Duncan Robinson. It's like it's funny how it surprises us when someone who's been the absolute best at what they do all the way through like middle school and high school and like of course they're going to be much cooler like regardless of how they look. They're still like probably going to be the most popular kid in their high school just on account of they're the best at what they do. So yeah. it's like in his small town or wherever he's from, he's been a rock star probably since he was 13 years old. So even though he looks goofy, it's like he's 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 sort of been forged through this idea of adulation. So that's just going to make somebody naturally a little bit cooler than an introvert or whatever. 
And we think he looks goofy compared to like LeBron or Rajon Rondo or, or Jimmy, Jimmy Butler, Butler who's like, like the coolest, coolest looking guy ever. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But like, if you just saw him on the street, you're like, oh, here's this like really kind of handsome, tall, jacked guy who like clearly is like really athletic and has a swagger. You're like, oh, that guy's like really cool. He's like a cool jock. But dude. I don't know. Tyler um, Hero looks cool. I find. Yeah, he oh, does. definitely. That's true. Tyler Hero I, could be in like a boy band though. He's like, yeah. he's like, he he's transcends basketball. Like he looks like like a you know. Uh, you know, an attractive twenty-year-old that could like be an in sync or something like that, which is a modern boy band reference, by the way. <laughs> um, another thing about, about bubble basketball, I was thinking, was it really speaks to just like how entertaining just sports are in general. And you kind of, and I, we were all worried, like, was well, it going to not have the same vibe because so much of the NBA culture is like who's sitting courtside, you know, what city are they in. Uh, you know how loud is the fans? Like, what? Are, how are the how are the fans interacting with the teams? And obviously, that's still something I really miss. But it just kind of reminded me that like I could go to some like random high school basketball game with like you know twenty people in the crowd. But if the teams are competitive and and the basketball is okay, I'll be enthralled. I could go watch street ball like and just see like two teams facing off best to eleven, and I'll be like locked in to be like okay. And then you and then you quickly identify your favorite players. Um, you know, on a teams that you've never seen before. Mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, I love that guy. I fucking love that guy. And uh, so now in retrospect, it kind of makes sense why bubble basketball didn't feel that weird because it's just no different than just w- watching any sort of sporting competition with like two teams going at it in a competitive way. That being said, it was yeah. the lowest rated uh, NBA finals ever. So yeah. Why do you think that is? I think uh, the politics of it, a, a lot of people were turned off by uh, the focus on BLM obviously racist yeah, I, people i disagree i, think, I no. disagree with that no that's Go, a that's a major narrative right now and and i think i think it might play like a small role but i don't think a lot of those people that would be turned off by the politics were nba fans in the first place and in fact mlb is way down like nobody watched the recent like the the playoffs that are happening right now nobody watched it um soccer is down uh there what, what else came back tennis is down. basically all sports are down and they can't quite figure out why but the nh the nba oh nhl was down the nba seems to get the most attention because they were such like it was such a a demonstrative sort of show of social justice or whatever so the the big phrase everyone says is go woke get broke or whatever if you get Mm -hmm. woke you go broke i do think it hurt it though a lot i i do think that i think things were already down and then that kind of alienated uh them a little bit but but was it even that much part of the game? Sure, they had like Black Lives Matter on the court, but it wasn't like every quarter. Well, the NFL suffered when Colin Kaepernick took a knee. So did, it is interesting. It? I guess the thing that like I just always find like it like I just I wonder about like do if the NBA's fans. The other thing too is like digital. People say that people are streaming the NBA. People have cut their cords. People aren't watching on cable, which is how they measure these metrics. Most of them, but. Um, I just wonder, like, if you're like a 16 year old in Indiana, and let's say you even are from like a conservative family, and you find these politics off putting, you, I can't imagine you're still not watching LeBron James and Jimmy Butler duo because like 16, you don't just don't give a shit. Oh, if and you're so 16, like, you're watching. It's the older people. It's the people like my dad's age. Right, and so he would have watched before and then won't watch now, in theory. Well, my, I don't want to throw my dad on the bus. Like I'm just using him Someone as an like example. People of his mean. age, yeah, in Indiana, like that 16 year old. I was thinking of Indiana too. It's funny you mentioned that, but yeah, I, I don't. I think the kids aren't affected the way the uh, the older generation is. My theory is, I think there is a, um, a like kinetic thing that happens in a city when you know the game is happening in your town, where I feel like you're more likely to be invested. I think that has more to do with it. I think there's a psychology where it's like, you know someone who's going to the game. 
oh, I'm going to go, oh, everyone's watching the game because we're going to meet up after the game. We're going to, you know, it's like we're going to a bar to watch the game. It's just like when, when I think for a lot of casual sports fans, it it felt, it might have felt very removed being in Miami. It didn't really feel like your city was playing. I mean, for us, it did, right? Obviously, we still really were invested in the Raptors. But I think there is a, like, there's an energy to a city when you get like a subway full of people heading down to Scotiabank Arena. The, the Go bus is packed. And it just like, there's just everything, all of life revolves around the game. But I think everyone's like schedules are so fucked up right now. Everyone's day to day is just weird and time is weird. And so it's just like that appointment viewing doesn't really exist in the same way. And um, it didn't feel as real. Like it, it didn't feel the no. same. Like it was awesome to no, watch. Didn't. I loved watching it because of the absence. But yeah, so I, I think it has more to do with that, where it's like people are just like more invested in a thing when you know it's happening like a mile from where you live, and yep. you're like, oh, my my friend's going. Oh, do you know that John's going to the game tonight? Oh, that's awesome. You got tickets. Where is the ticket? You know, like just those conversations just didn't happen anymore. I mean, we'll never know. But if if George Floyd hadn't been murdered, let's say that didn't happen, which triggered obviously like, you know, this wave of civil unrest. If that doesn't happen and then the bubble still goes on as scheduled, I think the ratings will be pretty similar. But I, yeah. but I could be wrong. Like, and we'll never know. But I, I suspect that sports would still be down regardless of. Oh, 100%. That That's undeniable. But I just think they got an extra notch. It's like adding insult to injury. Sure. Because. Yeah, I buy that. Um, but yeah, do you think, let's say uh, there was traveling involved, would the same team win the championship, that being the LA Lakers? Well, you got it. You got to call traveling if they take more than two steps. So you got it. <laughs> Come on. Max, no, no, no. You just, you were choppy as hell. Yeah, you keep, I, there's times I, where you're dropping out big time. Sorry, you made a traveling oh, no. joke. I couldn't hear the joke. Let's hear it again. <laughs> okay. uh, uh, like, I, I, I honestly didn't hear it. So you'll get my good reaction. Go for it. Well, if you take two. <laughs> If you take more than two steps, you got to call traveling. There's going to be traveling involved. Ah, <laughs> I get it. No, no that's, I guess I would have had to hear it like in context of how it was. Timing does matter. Sorry, Max. <laughs> it's that internet feed of yours, Max. It's, but uh, Mike, what's your serious opinion on that? Do you think the Lakers were uh, definitely going to win no matter what? I think if there was no pandemic, uh, the, the Lakers were rolling going into the break. Like they looked really, really good, way better than they looked at the start of the bubble. I also think the Raptors looked awesome going into the bubble, which is kind of a bummer. But anyway, I, I think it's very likely that the Lakers still win. The question is, uh, do the Clippers basically, uh, do they, because I think it would have ended up being the Clippers and the Lakers if the, the, the Clippers weren't in the bubble. I think that affected them. I think they have this sort of like void in leadership and it, that manifested on the court. They collapse when they're up 3-1, all that stuff. They they go out early. I think the Lakers, the only team they would have had a lot of trouble with was um, uh, the Clippers. Uh, and to your point, Shane, maybe the Bucks don't have whatever the hell happened to them in the second mm -hmm. round happen, and they end up in the finals, and maybe Braun or Kawhi have more issues with Giannis. I don't know. But so I think it's like, I think it's likely the Lakers still win, but no guarantee by no means. Right. What do you think? Do you think they don't win it? It's, it's hard to say because some players got, got a little bit more confident with uh, out the fans there. Like a lot of people were talking about Rondo, how his three-point percentage increased so much and he was taking shots he would never take if fans were kind of yeah. intimidating him. The three-pointers from Rondo were wild. Like that was crazy. Yeah, and like Scottie Pippen was um, saying that this championship doesn't count the same or doesn't feel the same. <laughs> <laughs> oh, Scotty. 
I mean, it doesn't feel the same. It no. was it. There are ex- extraordinary circumstances, but I don't think it makes it any less less difficult. You know what I mean? Like people keep talking about an asterisk or whatever. I, if there is an asterisk to me, I think it would be the other way. Like it's so hard to like stay in there for three months and not be able to do all these other things that you normally do. Uh, to, to, it's almost like a war of attrition and then also having to like summon your best in the moment. Like it's not like the Lakers walked through. Like Jimmy gave them like three all-time games, you know, um, that, that they amazing. had to overcome. Yeah, you know, oh. so it's like... I wanted to ask you about your money. Like where'd you end up money-wise? Oh, man, man. So for our listeners, I'd been, uh, I don't know if I've talked about this on the pod really, but uh, at the very start before the bubble started, I've never really bet on basketball or anything like that, but I ended up joining this app and my thinking was I'm going to put $300 on this app uh, because I would spend that on a playoff game easily. And we know I'm not going to be going to any games anytime soon. So why not just throw it there? My idea is no matter what I'm going to, uh, at the end of the bubble, meaning when the finals are done, I will take out whatever's in there. I'm not going to bet on other sports, um, but I will not put any more money in there. Uh, You're going to put to Winona's education. Is what you said, right? <laughs> it's her education fund. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Uh, so uh, in game uh, five, I was, me and Shane were basically like watching it together on like text. That was so fun. I'd, I'd let Shane know. I'd, I'd made a bunch of bets. I'd spread them across, but that was potentially the last game of the season. And I was like, at that point, I, th- I think I had something like 380. And so I was up 80 bucks from where I started. But at one point I was at like over $800. At one point I was down to like 120. So like I organed a lot over the last three months and it was really fun. It just added something extra to the game. Um, and it was sort of like really entertaining uh, and so this, this last night or what I thought was gonna be the last night of the game, which was game five. I thought the, the, the Miami was probably going to lose. Uh, Danica was like, what, like, it's just the $300. You probably should have lost by now. Anyway, go big bet lots. And I'm like, okay, you, you got me all excited. So I made this one bet where I put a hundred dollars, um, and I needed, uh, Jimmy to have a double, double LeBron to have a double, double Jimmy to score over 24 points and bam to score over 16 points. That was it. Those four bets, it was a $100 bet and it was going to return $1,250. So I let Shane know this. I also had a couple side bets uh, that Shane was actually, he was very keen on me betting high on Duncan Robinson. He's like, Duncan Robinson's having him. He's fucking going for 40 tonight. Bet heavy Duncan Robinson. I'm telling you, Duncan Robinson. So I made some side bets like that were heavy Duncan Robinson bets. All came through. So thank you to Shane. You actually won me money. No problem. That $100 that was going to be the $1,250 return. This was going to be my biggest win. This was going to be like my my masterpiece of the bubble. I was so excited. I'm sitting there. And it was your birthday too. And it was my damn birthday that night. Jimmy Butler, double-double. LeBron gets his double-double. Jimmy goes over 24 points. Bam, sitting at nine points. I'm like, oh my God, Bam, we only need a few more points. This is like going into halftime. So I'm like, Bam just has to score like eight points in the second half and I've got $1,250. This is amazing. It's like turning into uncut gems. And me and Shane are like texting like crazy. (laughs) Shane knows this. We get into the second half. Bam is missing bunnies. He's missing layups. Dunks are going inside the, like touching the mesh and popping out. (laughs) It was crazy. It was fucking torture. Torture. Uh, Bam ended up missing me my $1,250 by three points. Uh-huh. Finished, finished with 14 points. I needed him to score 17 to go over 16. So it was a heartbreaker. But Shane's two bets got me like 200 bucks back or something. And then, yeah. So what do you end up with though altogether? Well, boys, I went out in a blaze of glory. I'm uh, after, <laughs> after game six, I am currently sitting at $0. What? <laughs> Wait, yeah. how? Yeah. Well, Jimmy Butler... Didn't get a so basically I Jimmy had been so amazing all series he'd never had less than a double double so all of my bets were predicated on Jimmy and LeBron scoring double doubles I'm like they'll both get double doubles and then the Lakers blew out 
the Heat. Jimmy had like a subpar game. Well, I should have anticipated this. Also, the Lakers are like anybody but Jimmy. We're going to double team him every time he touches the ball. Some of his guys weren't hitting shots, so his assists weren't going up. And so that 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 really killed me. You should Tough have messaged six. me, man. I could have told <laughs> I know, you that. I should have. <laughs> I know, I know. Hey, he also, the way he limped off in game five, I'm like, V-Man. But I, I yeah. started to believe in Jimmy, man. I was like, Jimmy's been coming through all series. He's got the heart of a champion. And then he had a, a very pedestrian game six. And now the V-Man has a very pedestrian a zero bank balance in his betting <laughs> I app. can't believe that happened. Wow. Yeah. That yep. sucks. Yep. I mean, again, if Jimmy gets two more rebounds, I'm like, you know, I'm up probably. Yeah. I probably got like Gambling's 400 crazy. bucks. But that's the way it goes. But crazy fun, I will though. say- I don't recommend it to anybody. And if you do do it, well, I recommend it. It's fine if you are willing to lose whatever you put in and just don't keep dumping money. And that's where you get into trouble. But as far as like, this is entertaining, adds a little bit more juice to innocuous games or innocuous games that I don't care about. Like say like Denver Phoenix on like a Tuesday early in the bubble. I'd, I'd be really into it. Max, you know, I came to your backyard to watch a couple games and I like, I had money on uh, actually Denver beating the Clippers to win that series. And that was very exciting because that was a Ooh. blowout. I was like, dancing around i'm like oh i'm good at this betting thing i'm sure being very obnoxious at your, <laughs> in your back there <laughs> yeah that yeah because it is interesting though because you're new because we have a lot of friends that gamble so this yeah. is like a new thing do you think you're going to carry on with your gambling habits a lot of people ask me that and i had a couple other friends that were like gambling that would be like texting and stuff but uh well hey i'll tell you if there's no fans in arenas and i can't spend money on tickets then it's like i, I probably will at the start of the season do the same thing where i'm like uh, i'll allow myself to put in this amount of money and when i get to zero it's gone it's gone uh and i'll probably bet a little bit i don't know but i told shane he should get into it because shane's shane like really gets into that kind of stuff like he was so into my bets like but too into it because then i get, I'd be worried I, then shane. i get mad you know <laughs> and then my night's ruined and then i'm being like annoying to alex and like ready yeah shane you're the one of the most competitive people i know and i i I think you'd go insane if if yeah it would really distract you from being a father you should see me playing tennis with my father-in-law uh (laughs) he beat me the other day and i i I couldn't even talk to him like i was just i was just (laughs) mad (laughs) and he he we have a a group Um, where he texts like who's winning and who's losing and uh my brother-in-law's in in that group and he texted that he beat me and i was just uh yeah i was steamed and then i went back and beat him the next day oh this is this is the other psychological thing that i thought was interesting that i learned about gambling is it's like when i first started i would bet like ten dollars on kyle lowry to score say over 14 points and i would be like he'd be sitting at like 13 points and i'd be like oh and i'd be all so pent up because but it's ten dollars as that goes along you it's like the juice don't work no more it's like it has to be like a hundred dollar bet in order for you to like (laughs) actually feel anything uh because you're like and you realize how silly it was that you were freaking out over like a five dollar mark gasol bet at the start of the bubble and now it's like you've got like a hundred dollars down but it means you're going to win six hundred dollars and so it's like you can see how people how it actually ruins people because psychologically whatever you're getting out of it you just the stakes need to be higher in order to for you to get that same sort of feeling which you go ah i see how that can be very dangerous you have to sort of like intellectually be aware of that the whole time you're doing it and then knowing what your levels are and all that stuff and uh i have to be careful with what i'm saying here on the pot i'm realizing so I barely beat John the second game, and I, <laughs> I want to make it clear that Lorna, my mother-in-law, did watch or listen to the Mike on Much episode from <gasps> that that I said she hey! probably didn't. Mm. Uh, so we got in a discussion, and apparently uh, she felt very foolish and uh, did not appreciate me saying that. So you know, I usually don't get in that much hot water for things, but I got in a little bit of hot water for that. So I want to uh, start saying things clearer 
And because uh, sometimes in my <laughs> mind, I'm saying them differently than they're coming out of my mouth. Uh, but yeah, Lorna does listen occasionally. And I will say, I don't think she would ever turn on the pod on her own recognizance. But often when she's coming to the cottage, John will play it and she will listen. Mm. Well, thank you, Lorna, for listening to the pod. One, I never for a second doubted that you were listening, and uh, we always appreciate it. Whether it's one episode, all the episodes, here and there, we appreciate it. Right, Maxi Boy? Yeah, well, we're going to print off that statement and, and put it on our Twitter. Yeah, that and my apologies like official... for speaking out of turn. You know, I have to, if I'm talking, <laughs> I should know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. And who knows, maybe Lorna does listen on her own. I don't know. <laughs> all right. <laughs> Uh, all right, boys. Uh, that's what we've been up to. Uh, Maxi, you're on the board of directors with Nick Nurse and Dr. J. Shaney has made his mea culpa to his in-laws. And I think it's time <laughs> to move on, on to topics. List? Yeah. All right, guys. Uh, topics. Let's get to SNL. Uh, Bill Burr hosted on Saturday night. Um, I don't know what night it would have been if it wasn't Saturday night since it was Saturday Night Live. And uh, his monologue sort of went viral for, I guess the wrong reasons. Uh, I actually didn't watch this in real time, but I did see a snippet of his monologue on Twitter the next day, specifically the part about white women sort of hijacking movements. Um, And there was a lot of sort of pushback, but then also a lot of people sort of defending it. Uh, Anyway, for this uh, topic, Max said, everybody watch Bill Burr's uh, full monologue uh, and let's talk about it. Uh, There's been a lot of commentary sort of on comedy, on his monologue, how it's hard to sort of pull off uh, alongside social unrest. Um, yeah, first of all, let's talk about what we thought of the monologue. Maxie, you brought this up. So what did you think of Bill Burr's monologue? I really loved the monologue. Um, going into the episode, I was actually a little concerned because Chris Rock's monologue the previous week, which I had high hopes for, was not particularly strong. I think even Chris Rock acknowledged that. And we talked. I think we talked about this on the last episode where it's just hard for a working stand-up comedian to really hone their material if you can't go to the comedy store four nights a week and, and work through it. I think where Bill Burr probably has an advantage is that he's a ranting maniac. This is like a self-proclaimed. Like all he does is just like talk to himself all day long. If you listen to his Monday morning quarterback podcast, he's constantly just working up material like in the moment. It's very like, you know, stream of consciousness. And then you can see ideas developing in real time. So I think if anybody has a chance of of like doing a good SNL monologue in a time where you can't do stand-up comedy, it's Bill Burr. Um... I think he, um, I, I love how sort of provocative it was. It was very classic Bill Burr. He, there's been, there's a couple of jokes that were sort of play, a play on like previous jokes that he's had. And I, uh, I thought the best moment was when he was, he was talking about how it's unfair that Pride Month is a full month where Black History Month is in February and they don't get a summer month <laughs> to, to really have a chance to party. <laughs> and, right. and, but basically the turn, the turn, it looked like he had dug himself a hole when he was, when he, when it seemed like he was being hard on pride month. But then the turn was, he just wanted Black History Month to be longer, which I thought was kind of, it was funny and clever. Um, and I guess my last thought when it comes to like the Twitter side of things is I just wonder like, and I know this isn't an original thought, but like, like how much of the Twitter rants or the the hashtag or the trending is indicative of what people actually thought in real life? Because I thought it was like one of the stronger SNL episodes. I think most people who go to a comedy club like know they're going to go in there and maybe be mildly offended, but like this sort of risk taking that happens in in those places. And uh, and I think it would be very easy to write like a scathing review about any comedian ever. 
if they wanted to. Obviously, SNL has, has a lot of uh, eyeballs on it, but uh, I just think overall it was, it was a pretty good episode and I don't know how much I buy into anything that trends on Twitter necessarily, especially in this context, mm-hmm. I suppose. Shandy boy. Yeah, I uh, am at a cottage right now and I'm kind of at the whim of the what the other people here want to watch. And I don't think uh, we get SNL. And if we did, no one taped it. But I do have it PVR'd at home. So I am going to watch it. I heard about it. But as far as uh, the Twitterverse, I agree with you, Max. And a lot of these people, uh, you know, complaining about these sort of things, it's part of their identity. And it's kind of like their duty if they don't speak out on it. Then they're going to feel like, oh, I'm a hypocrite because I spoke out on something similar that wasn't in a comedic spot. But now I have to talk about this Bill Burr thing. So it is very tricky. And uh, yeah, I don't think they really hardcore are offended because they do know it's comedy and an exaggeration. And sometimes they are. And by the way, I think, think I've learned. I, I think some some people genuinely are like offended by things like comedians say, and that's fine. And also, I think I learn a lot on Twitter. So this is not to say that like we should just roll our eyes and bat away any kind of criticism that you see on Twitter. Like I think I think a lot of it can be like really valuable to like understanding another person's perspective. Of course, um, but we're talking about in the confines of a comedic routine. Yeah, yeah. I think you're right though. Yeah, in the confines of a comedic routine. Um, I think some people just have more of a stomach for it than others. I think like, it's funny. I remember sending Anthony Jeselnik uh, to to Peter Rosenthal. And Peter Rosenthal is like an old family friend, you know, subject of song repeat. Um, Peter loves comedy. Like I remember like, when I was a kid, like he, he showed me some like old classic Jewish comedians from like when he was growing up. And I thought, oh, he might like this because I really like Anthony Jeselnik. He wrote back immediately. He's like, I found this to be like profane and very uncomfortable because, and then when you think about Jesselnik and like the stuff he says, it's all so morbid and so dark and so mean. And I go, Oh yeah, I guess, I guess it is kind of terrible. The stuff he's saying, I find it very funny. And I think, and obviously Jesselnik is a very popular comedian, but, uh, but, but yeah, people, I guess when it comes to yeah, comedy, people have different tolerances. Uh, it's like spicy food. Some people don't like spicy food. Some people, you know, just want to keep it nice and bland. <laughs> uh, Mike, what about you? Yeah, I, th- I think like it's like you see what Bill Burr is doing. I think there was an uncomfortable, there's a discomfort in the room. Did you not feel that from the crowd? The crowd didn't really quite know whether or not they wanted to laugh. Did you feel that throughout the whole monologue? Like, uh, yeah, there's a couple of moments that jokes didn't land. Yeah. Oh, he had to like get himself out. Like he would be, it'd be like, it would kind of die and he would go moving on. You know yeah, what I mean? And then he forward. Would, exactly. Um, and I, I just think that it is a very difficult time. And I think that the, the, the thing that people took major issue with was that like Bill Burr made, which was a very funny and it would seem not untrue statement about how like, you know, this whole movement for like, sort of like, um, uh, 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 social justice when it comes to sort of like the oppression uh, of people of color and race and then it's like he made the joke about how like white women sort of like hijack the movement and then basically talk about their oppression now that could be a funny monologue and and I, I listen his it, it, the, as, a, as a piece of craft the wording was hilarious it was bang on the timing all stuff I think it's like people have an issue with him being the messenger on that because they conflate it with just like another white dude telling them to know their place or something like that, you know? Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's not ne- it's not an unfair sort of feeling or criticism, but it gets me thinking about the larger thing, like you said, Max, which is like, where, like who can make what jokes and where? And I think that's always been the, the sort of the deal, you know? Black comedians can make jokes that white comedians can't. Female comedians can make jokes that male comedians can't, you know? And it's just like, we're, we're in such a... 
it's so much more sort of obvious now. Uh, meaning like four years ago, he makes that joke. Everyone's just like, he's a truth teller. Now it's like, dude, it's not your place to say that. And you can feel that in the room. You can feel it. Like everybody is so hyper aware now and attuned that it is hard for, I think, Bill Burr to get off jokes like that because everybody's just, the the, the, the wheels are spinning constantly. And they're like, ooh, 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 ooh. And then, and a big part of comedy is letting go and just sort of laughing and going with it. And you can't now because we all, everything's being overthought. And whether that's good or bad, I don't know. I'm just, it is, it is what it is. You were going to say something, Shaney. Oh, I was going to say, do you think it's funnier for the people at home? Then like in an audience, like I, I might be scared to laugh if I'm sitting beside someone who I'm like, ooh, this person might not <laughs> appreciate me laughing at a certain joke. But at home, that might make me laugh harder because the tension's so tight. It's a good question. Or maybe it's like a young liberal New York audience feels like that's like, like it's like if they, they can sense the discomfort and where he's going or, yeah, I don't know. Like you, I, I really didn't feel like in the room it was working, even though I understood what he was doing and I thought elements of it were, were certainly funny. But Max, did you not feel like there was like a discomfort like in the room with the jokes as well? You know, I, maybe I've just like been around Bill Burr so much that yeah. I'm just you know, I'm just kind of used to it and if and and probably used to the discomfort that some people have about his comedy. I'm just like it's all part of the package that he's going to say some crazy shit and I'm usually going to find it funny and other people are going to be like, "Hey." Um yeah. and he is a character he, too. Like with all comedy, it's just like this guy's a heightened version. It's not even really him. Even on his podcast, he'll say mm-hmm. something outrageous be like, "What the fuck am I talking about? I don't even know what I'm saying here. I'm just rambling here." It's like like yeah. you know what I mean? Like there's there's so many uh like he saves himself so often. I also think too, like the thing that's funny about comedy now and, and, and as, like as, as an audience, how sort of like your thought, your thought process maybe doesn't allow you to like, just laugh at something at its base. Like he did a bit on John Wayne. He's like, he did a whole bit. Uh, we're, we're can't, we're canceling people that are dead. Like God canceled John Wayne 30 years ago, whatever fine line. Um, he's like, and people are like, did you hear what he said in a playboy interview in 1970? And he's sort of making fun of, the idea that I guess people are going back and finding things to be offended about. So like, I guess on its surface in the past, you go, that is funny. Why are people doing that? But now it's like, if you think one step ahead, you go, well, no, I think people are just pointing out. Why are we sort of like making a guy a hero that is problematic? You know what I mean? Or the taking down of statues. It's like, what we're doing is we're not just propagating sort of like problematic people and looking. So it's like, it's part of a bigger discussion. So it's like, I think of it like defense, like complicated NBA defense. It's like, if you're good enough to get past the first person in the past, you'd score against a weak defense. People are so attuned now that it's like, you make the first joke, but then they go, eh, well, actually, it's not that people are just being like sad. It's just they're kind of like accountability is a big thing these days. And so it's like, the joke has to be so fucking clever. Otherwise, it's just kind of like cheap. You know what? On that point, yeah, I didn't even really think about it in that context because the canceling of John Wayne is one thing. Us talking about, let's think about Columbus differently. Christopher Columbus, you know, that was a big thing in the States last week because it was Columbus Day, but here's a guy who like raped and pillaged indigenous people. And also up here, obviously, like Dundas Street. They're thinking about renaming Dundas Street because that was a pro-slavery owner uh, from Britain that obviously came to Canada. Um, And I just wonder, the question I ask myself is like, can... Are we able to compartmentalize like those kinds of conversations with just comedic things? Like, can I enjoy stand-up comedy and the funniness of of the John Wayne joke, but also be really, you know, aware of these historical malpractices and be sympathetic to them and want to make change and move and make progress on them, you know? And 
I think yeah, you can, but, but everyone can't. And that's where the danger comes in. Mm. And that's what people are worried about. That nuance is yeah. lost on a lot of people, right? And knowing the layers to jokes and that the comedians aren't always saying what they mean and they're they're being hyperbolic for comedy's sake. Yeah, because I'd like to live in a world that I can like go enjoy provocative jokes that I don't necessarily even fully agree with. That may yeah. have just like a sliver of truth that go, oh yeah, that's kind of interesting. Yeah. Okay. Um, and but then also go about supporting worthy causes uh, in in real life you know well, it's like when, like I, when i used to be really drunk i'd walk into a bar and i'd my close friend i'd be like fuck you you piece of <laughs> shit and you know some someone seeing that he doesn't know me is like this guy's atrocious he's horribly offensive but the people who know me are all howling because they know mm-hmm. that's not me and that's not what i'm actually meaning or like shut yeah. up used to be my big thing right yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> But to me, that's, yeah. that's what it is. The, it's the outsiders versus the people in on it. And you're such an in on it, nuanced guy that other people you aren't. You know, I welcome our socially minded listeners uh, to engage with us in, the, in this conversation. I don't know if they want to drop us a DM on Twitter. Um, private conversations I usually find to be a little bit more useful. But yeah, just how comedy uh, should interact with like social causes and whether... We shouldn't have any patience for it or the only a certain kind. I don't know. It'd be, it'd be interesting to have that conversation to see, see what feels good in the minds of people that are sort of at the front of the movement. Mm-hmm. All right, Shane, once you watch that monologue, I can't wait to hear you pipe in. Huh? <laughs> yeah. No, I, I usually do like that stuff. I usually do find it funny and I take it with a grain of salt, but I haven't seen it. And I don't, I don't like Anthony Jeselnik, not because he's offensive, just because I, I think he's terribly unfunny. And I know a lot of people love him, but. Mm, no, interesting. Yeah. You guys, you guys want to do five minutes on Jesselnik? <laughs> no. <laughs> no. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on to Trump. Uh, I mean, what is there to say? I, I, it's been you know a week of uh, sort of like uh, incident after incident. He is, it would seem, free of the COVID, out there at rallies, dancing around. Um, uh, there was a vice presidential debate where a fly ended up on. Uh, Vice President Pence's head, uh, Kellyanne Conway's daughter has become sort of an internet celebrity uh, by going sort of against her mother and her politics. Um, Trump is back on the Twitter sort of doing Trump things. Uh, I, I guess, you know, and, and I know the angle of this comedy is sort of or the angle of this segment is that these are comedic moments and sort of like what moments are the most sort of objectively funny. Um yeah, so so why don't why don't you take it from there, Maxie? Since the, yeah, the well, I I always like when you guys observe. You guys are very fun to like watch TV with or read t- or like you know go on Twitter and you'll send me funny links because you're very good at finding the humor in things or like a funny angle to something. And I feel like lately Trump has been very funny. Obviously, we can have a disclaimer that Trump is obviously like the worst leader the the world has ever seen and he's a terrible despicable guy so we'll get that out of the way but there are some funny things that like literally made me giggle this week um him uh specifically i thought his tweets about it was just like i think he just got out of the hospital and he just started tweeting like new york is going to hell <laughs> yeah, vote trump la's gone to hell or california's gone to hell um he also has been like uh doing this thing where he throws everything against the wall so where he um where he'll be like, Met, like healthcare for all. We're going to give the best healthcare to everybody, which is sort of contradicting everything the Republicans generally fight for. Actually, Rob Loud, can you pass your phone, uh, Rob Loud's story? He had a funny uh, New York Post article that he posted about uh, Trump at a, <laughs> at a rally. 
uh, and, and it wrote, um, Trump was about 20 minutes into his speech in front of thousands of supporters at an airport hangar in Sanford when he made an offer to kiss the audience members. I feel so powerful, quote, I'll kiss everyone in that audience. I'll kiss the guys and the beautiful women. I'll just give you a big fat kiss. Trump then continued riffing on his bounce back from his boat with COVID-19, saying he feels good after fighting the, fighting off the virus. They say you're immune. I don't know how long. Some people say for life. Some people say four months. <laughs> anyway, just the <laughs> idea of him talking about wanting to kiss a bunch of guys is just funny. <laughs> Me too, because obviously the Republicans, uh, policy-wise, are, are mostly you know, anti-gay. Uh, so anyway, I thought those moments were were kind of funny. Uh, do you guys have any that, that come to mind? Well, nothing. You can't top the fly going on, <laughs> like because that's funny for both sides. I think just like because he has such like apparent dignity and he's such a tight-lipped, unfunny <laughs> guy to have a fly land on him for that period for of so time, long. It's just it's it's hilarious, right? Like people on both sides would be laughing at that, right? Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I, Nothing's. Bad. I uh, I was uh, I was texting with our, our our good friend and friend of the pod, host of the heist, Matt Unsworth, uh, that evening. And he had, he literally said, I guarantee you, Kenan Thompson's going to be playing the fly in SNL this Saturday. He, he called it in like within two minutes. And then sure enough, this, this weekend on the opening monologue, Kenan Thompson was the fly. You know, it just, I sometimes I'm like, we're in such a predictable cycle. Like it, it really is yeah. like, just like, but the fly was objectively funny. Like when Danica and I, we were watching the VP debate and when that fly landed, I was like, oh my God, like. And then, like, Twitter is getting jokes off, like, literally, like, zinger after zinger after zinger. And Danica and I are both just reading back and forth, like, the best ones. Like, that, to Shane's point, that felt like good, nonpartisan, harmless fun, uh, where mm-hmm. it was just like, let's just laugh at this for a moment and sort of forget a lot of their sort of, like, horrible, uh, like, policies that have, like, ruined lives and uh, whatnot. And you just sort of, like, in the construct of this debate, and like Shane said, the dignity the dignity with which Mike Pence presents himself, a fly sitting on his head for, like, two and a half minutes or whatever, however long it was, was fucking comedy, for sure. I know what you're saying about the cycle, Mike. I will say, though, the week Trump had COVID was, was, a, was a different kind of cycle because Certainly. it was all it was all happening you know like everybody at that garden ceremony got it and then he was like not tweeting from the hospital and then he came back really strong like it was just like it was a different a different experience that week I, one thing that i find i guess i don't know if i find it interesting like it's like there's so much like sort of i i you know i i'm i'm on record it's like i another 4 years of this is going to be so bloody draining um so who knows what's going to happen? Uh, and I think we're all on record as sort of like our position on Trump and, and how he is as a leader. But I think one of the things that might be appealing about him uh, that I find interesting to sort of observe is how much joy he is having when he's in front of crowds. Like it's like there's something like um, like you, when you watch somebody like just when he's talking, when he's doing the kissing rant. I don't know if you guys saw that one, but like he's up there and he's like almost like a, like a, a, <laughs> so- <laughs> Like, like he just loves the people watching him. He gets to like get off his shitty jokes, but you're just watching him. Like he just loves it. And then did you see the clip of him dancing after the rally or whatever? <laughs> like he looked like Steve Ballmer courtside at a fucking Clippers game. Like it was like, and I'm just watching it. I'm like, look at this fucking guy. I'm like, 
say what you want, but he's having a good time. And I don't know if it's because he's on drugs from COVID. I don't know if it's because he thinks he's going to lose and it's like, I might as well go out with a laugh. Or if he thinks he's going to win and he's like, I'm invincible and I'm untouchable and this is like my happy spot. But it, it is obvious that when he's speaking at these rallies, he's in his element. He is really having fun. <laughs> and that joy is like, it's, you know, I'm somebody that's very against him, and I'm sitting there going, "Man, he looks like he's having a good time." Like, well, Trump, crazy. Trump is a former Democrat, right? Like, he used to donate to Hillary Clinton, and he's like, a, and he was a New York City guy, right? So, typically, a New York City guy would be part of the Democratic Party, would vote Democrat, and if he like, he doesn't really believe in anything no. other than being famous and being rich and being the center of attention. Those are the only three things that he really believes in. So, there is a world where. He just does the same shtick for the Democrats. It, like, cause it, like policy stuff, like, or like agenda items. He doesn't, he doesn't give one shit about it. If, if the Democrats were like, Hey, you have to be our camp, like our puppet head, my puppet master, just not puppet master. You have to be, you know, the face of the party. Um, you good with that? He's like, yeah, sounds good. Do I get to go to the rally? Do I get to be on stage? Do I get to crack some jokes? Okay. I'm in. Does not matter. Yeah. I, I, I really like, and obviously, the party that has chosen to do that has, I think, a lot of like malicious ideas or ideas that I really disagree with. And so, and, but they just happen to be the party that's invited him to, to be their, their, their guy, right? It was the only club that would have him. Yeah. So and, he's like, okay, and, sure. and he still had to force his way in by surprising yeah. them all and winning that election or winning the nomination in the election. You were going to yeah. say something, Shane. Oh, I just feel like he's always been this way, the, the same. Like he put out that full page. Ad. He paid money to have these uh, the four innocent um, in that rape case like 30 so years ago. Brooklyn, yeah. yeah, the Central, yeah, Park, Central Park Five. Park. I feel like he's always been the same. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Like, I, I, I don't think he could, like, he would front a liberal party. Just they wouldn't the have him. No, no they oh, wouldn't I see what you're saying. I don't think, if they would, personal. I don't think he, he, he would or could. Like, I feel like yep. he's pretty in line with his that. beliefs. Uh, I mean, he's definitely like racist and has very close-minded ideas. I'm just saying, if the Democratic Party was like Trump, we want you to be our guy. We're throwing mm-hmm. everything we have around it. He'd be like, okay, I'm in. Yeah, I don't think, think so? he he on a um, personal level he'd give one shit. Right. He's like, yeah, who's who's gonna make me famous and rich? That's all I care about. But he's already rich. You think he he only cares yeah. about fame? Uh, oh, is he not? He, well, I think he's like, I think he's having, I think he owes a lot of money. That's what the taxes showed is it's like everything's leveraged somewhere and his certain businesses are failing. And then so he opens other things to cover for those and gets loans. And he had to go to foreign, uh, you know, comp- he had to go to like foreign investors to get loans because no one would loan him money in the States anymore. Like, so it's all he has like less money than us, theoretically speaking, because <laughs> he in owes valuations, money, right? Exactly. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. But his assets, he could sell off and still be fine. I, again, I'm not an accountant, but the way that that New York Times piece read is, it's sort of showed a guy that could be in major trouble if he doesn't win this next election. Uh, okay, guys. We can go to a Shane Surprise, too. If, yeah, if, do, you want, uh, do you want to roll right into Shane Surprise? Yeah. Sure, yeah, let's do it. Oh, um, love it. A Shane Surprise from the cottage. So this one's kind of on theme, but maybe I'll give you an option to go uh, off theme and maybe go a lighter move. But I was watching Shrek with my <laughs> daughter today, and in it, there's a couple parts that are so inappropriate. Like there's a part when um, Jonathan Lithgow's character is trying to decide which princess he wants to to get with or or choose to uh, to marry, and they're going through Cinderella and Snow White, and then uh, I, I forget the main princess's Fiona, name. Princess Fiona. But when they're talking about Snow White, they're like, 
Oh, she lives with seven men, but she's not easy. And they're making like sexual innuendo the whole movie. And then we have Disney Plus and we watch another movie. And then there's racist stuff in these Disney films. And I was wondering, like, Mike, like more so to you, do we should these be removed? Like to the John Wayne joke, like for because yeah. I thought it was really funny. It's it's almost like the Bill Burr joke. I laughed so hard at that Shrek Snow White joke. But I was still mad, you know? I was like, this is hilarious that a kid's movie for like five-year-olds to enjoy. They slip that joke in so the parents can have a laugh in the movie theater while the kids don't really know 100% what's going on. But, you know, there's slippage there. The kids know that something's implied there. Eventually, they'll know. And it's a bad message that a woman's easy or even can be easy, right? And there's a lots of racist stuff in Disney films. Or that, or that being easy is bad. Sure. But but you wouldn't say that to a man, right? If it was a prince. That's but that's what I'm saying. If the yeah. prince hooked up with a bunch of people, it wouldn't be a negative. True. Yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. And Peter Pan has a, a bunch of racist stuff going on. We have Disney <laughs> oh, Plus, yeah, yeah. and we're always watching Lucy loves Mickey Mouse and all the old school mm. cartoons. They're they're terrible. Like there's at least one yeah. bad part in each cartoon. So should these be removed was what I was gonna come in with. But then I was like, eh, that's not funny. So I was like. Wondering, would you keep COVID going for another five years for a million bucks? Like quarantine. Man, Shane just shoehorned in like a, a three-minute social commentary monologue <laughs> on problematic movies, which ties back to the John Wayne thing with Bill Burr. Um, but... Uh, COVID. So for a million, I get a million dollars and I can somehow magically keep COVID going for the rest of the no, world. No, it's not for five COVID. Years. Sorry. Quarantine. Like, could we, cause all of us are going to say for, uh, you know, we want everyone to live and be healthy and prosperous or whatever. Just quarantine. Could you keep this going for another five years for 1 million bucks? Absolutely not. Maxi. No, I'm losing all the money right now. <laughs> right. I can make the million dollars. You can back make a million bucks in a fucking yeah. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> he needs this to end so that he can uh, get yeah, so I can so I have my job back, you know. You need to put it at like twenty million. Because I feel like a million making a million in five years, we're all very fortunate enough to have like jobs and entertainment, you make mm -hmm. a couple moves, all that stuff. It's like a million over a five year stretch is is not like but insanely out of reach. But your current job, Mike, it's not frozen. Yep. You can still work and make money, but you're just getting a, an extra mill after five years. No way. No, my yeah. life isn't worth that. That's not like I don't know money. if there's any amount of money I would take. No, actually, that's, I think, a better question. How much money would you take to have quarantine go for another year, even? Five like, years. So, like, so, so a so, year, so, so, okay. So from now, what are we year. in? We're in October. Of October to yeah. October, we have to live like this for one more year. I think I'm probably we're gonna probably have to anyway. So yeah, I mean a million for that. That's that seems doable. But five, man, come on. But then you could live the the next ten years amazingly. The vacations you could go on. Don't care. No. Honestly, I think like if if you were to say, hey Max, if you can wait for another month and I'll give you a million dollars, I'll be like, I don't think so. I don't <laughs> think I'd even take it for another month. I'd be like, wow. I just like need, I just want to go to like fucking Starbucks and see their faces. <laughs> like, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. Like, like it's like, oh, oh, so you're saying the NBA can start and I can, and I can go to the board of directors lounge. 
<laughs> you specifically, <laughs> me, right? <laughs> and I can carry on. Oh, yeah. so, no, no, no. He he's on the board. Oh, <laughs> he's on, I'm on the board. Yeah. You know, I'm on the board. So yeah, I mean, there, you'd have to offer me so much money because the the, the things I miss about life um, feel so so much more important now that I don't have it. Right. So yeah, uh, yeah. I uh, I don't know if, what what money you could offer me to, to stay inside any longer. Shane, I feel like you put a lot of thought into this. What's your position? I feel like you take the mill. I, you, I you, you're you're oh, on record as sure. saying you enjoy this way of life. Well, it's just interesting. It opens interesting opportunities, but I am a pleasure delayer too. Like even when it's relationships, <laughs> That's anything. That's what Alex tells us about you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> is that a sexual innuendo? It was. <laughs> it is? Oh, my in-laws are listening, man. <laughs> Lauren is not going to be happy. 